Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. It has been a while since I have said that intro, and indeed since we have had an episode of the podcast, Classic, which is properly what this is. Welcome back to the show proper. I love making content at all times of the year, but especially October through November as we do horrifying classics. Take a slight break with our typical programming in November, that's this month, and jump right back into our yearly series with December Dickens in December, obviously. Speaking of December Dickens, the list of works by Dickens that we will cover this year will go out in the monthly email newsletter first. And in fact, whenever we do series on the show, we always spoil the set list in the monthly emails first because those people have opted to get our extra content and we want to provide some reward and incentive for that. If you would like to receive our monthly emails, you can go to our homepage at relevanceofliterature.com and scroll down to the very bottom of the page where there will be a box for you to enter your email so that you can start receiving those. As a moment of pause after a hectic, horrifying classics season and a very full October in my personal life, I decided to sit down with you all today and celebrate 200 episodes of the podcast. 201 episodes, I suppose. Thank you by talking about books. What else? And I'm going to also teach you how to make me tea. I figure we could give a little nod to episode 100 where I took you into my kitchen and introduced you to my brother and we made cookies by Joshua Wiseman. I I will start as I typically do in these episodes by announcing where I am at with reading for the year today or Monday the 8th, which is when I will post this episode, is the start of week 45 of the year meaning that I should be at or around 45 books if I really want to keep up with my book a week reading challenge. And I'm at 44 books, almost right on track, a bit tardy, but just barely I should mention, because I have finished all the horrifying classics books way in advance, and then I just stopped reading for a bit. So I'm hoping that with my normal reading, and the books that I'm going to talk about today, I will be able to finally get back on track with the books that I am more than halfway through with. I have been reading a lot lately, but in starts and stops, and I will first list all the books that I'm currently reading just to give you a sense of the book overload that I'm experiencing. These do not include the hundreds of pages a week I read between various courses and my thesis projects. I'm not complaining, by the way. I love being in a position where I'm allowed and able to read this much. It's so gratifying and so rewarding to me, but it is a lot of reading, objectively speaking. And I'll start with the audiobooks that I'm reading. The first is I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. Wanting by Luke Burgess, Atomschaukel von Hertha Müller, 
and the print books Aus Vaters Bart noch Röd war von Wolf Dietrich Schnüre, The Genius of Jesus by Erwin Raphael McManus, Whereabouts by Jumpa Lahiri, and Everything Like Before by Kjell Askelson. I'm going to ad-lib on a couple of patterns that I've been noticing in my reading, and I hope that in doing so, I will illuminate either patterns in your own reading that might slow you down as they've slowed me down, or at the very least spark the interest in you to analyze your own reading habits, as I'm doing here. I find it a really helpful exercise to do, if not quarterly, then every so often as you're going through a challenge like this, just to understand how your daily life and your daily choices, your schedule, for example, and the time that you have to put towards reading influences and affects your reading choices and how to really optimize that system with scheduling versus reading versus life, really. The first is that I have noticed that I've started a lot of books and it's mostly because of the thrill of the chase, the thrill of opening a new book. Some of it is definitely the excitement of having a lot of new books come out around this time. I have noticed in terms of the authors I really like to follow and read, contemporary authors that is, they typically release books between October and November and also March, April, May around there. So those are the two periods when I'm buying most of my contemporary books and the other periods of the year I tend to buy more 1800s, older, gothic, other literature <laughs> that I also super enjoy. And so as I have been buying more books, I am excited about them and I'm starting way too many books that I'm not actually putting in the effort to get beyond a significant portion of the book as I'm starting them. And that means that the books that I've already started, so books that I've been reading forever, Aus Vaters Bart noch Röd war, I've been reading that book forever and I have no excuse for it. I really just have to finish it. <laughs> but starting all of these new books, including The Genius of Jesus, uh, including books that I've already finished um, and already started looking at, Carnival of Snackery by David Sedaris was one recently. There's another one that I started and decided to put away and restart when I finish more books that I'm halfway through with. That we'll be reviewing later this month, by the way, so I won't spoil that. But yeah, I'm just starting so many books and I'm not committing to getting a decent way, decent way through them or even to finishing them. So that's a pattern that I find disorienting in my reading. I'm not the kind of person that really loves to read six or seven or in this case probably eight or nine books at a time, uh, but sometimes I fall into that habit when I go through periods like these of book acquisition and book eventually I will release a lot of these books into the world. I'm not just going to like hoard all my books. And as an aside, I'd really love to do an episode on my criterion for keeping books and what percentage of books I get rid of and things of that nature, that kind of like minimalist adjacent topic. Uh, that would be a really interesting one for me to do, and you can let me know in the comments for this episode at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes if that would also be of interest to you. 
So really, again, going back to the main topic, starting these books has been disorienting to me. It, this lack of focus has also slowed me down quite a bit on the reading because I've been reading by feeling, not by intention. And so when I sit down at night, I carve out about an hour each day to read and right before I go to bed. And when I sit down to read, I know in my heart of hearts that I should read X book and I feel differently. So I read Y book or I start Z book. And while this is okay in the sense that it's okay to sort of self gauge where you're at, right? My life is very regimented around my schedule, my thesis, my performances, all of that. So I like to give myself a certain measure of personal freedom when it comes to small things like choosing what to read in the evenings. But I think there's a difference between giving yourself a break and being compassionate for yourself in that respect and indulging yourself and really falling privy to self-indulgence that's not really going to serve you in the long run. For me, I get so much out of reading because of things like empathy, because it challenges me, it makes me really think, it makes me use language in ways that I had not thought of before, and as a linguist, I fall into the pattern of like analyzing what's happening with books and really going into rabbit holes in my own mind while I'm reading, and I love to sit and read a bit and then pause for a while and think about it and then start up again and pause again and <laughs> so I love that like process of reading it's it's really the process that engages me and that I find so rewarding even now and even as I'm continuing to read more and more for coursework for example I still get so much catharsis almost from being able to sit down at night and have this designated time where I know I'm just going to read and I'm just going to engage my own thoughts. And I think something that has detracted from that process lately has been the feeling of being so split and of not making progress on the whole because I have too many windows that are open, too many streams that I'm trying to put my fire hose into, so to speak. So I really, moving forward, and I'll talk about this in a later portion of the episode, but moving forward, I'd really love to just focus on a couple books and indulge in that process, um, but also not self-indulge and choose books, uh, whichever book I'll read that day or that evening by feeling, but rather by an intention of, I'm going to finish this book. <laughs> this is especially pertinent to me right now because I will be traveling to Germany in December. So I have this trip. I'm going to not be taking lots of baggage with me because I'm a minimalist. I don't need a lot. And I currently have audiobooks instead of my Kindle uh, really in rotation, if you will. So I'm hoping to finish all of the print books that I just talked about, Whereabouts, and Als Vaters Bart noch Röt war, and uh, everything like before, and The Genius of Jesus. I'm hoping to finish those four minimum 
by the time that I leave for Germany in early December. Just, it's not fair to yourself or to the books to leave them midway when you take a big trip and your mind is completely distant from it. There are some books, right, that you really need that distance from, but I don't feel that way about any of these books. These books are more so books that are shorter on the whole, for sure. All of them are um, 250-ish page average. Auswater's um, Bart, Nachrötwar, is like a, the longest one, but it's a book of short stories. So again, you know, little nuggets of info along the way. I really feel like these books are books that I would serve myself better by reading in their entirety and then going back to them and reading them uh, on a future read, on a future um, occasion, and really lending the life experience that I've lived through since, you know, in between reads, in between the Leseseit. Um to the book the second time. I hope that was digestible <laughs> in a way to explain it. So I really don't feel like it would be efficient or productive or enjoyable for me even to leave these books if I was halfway or 75% of the way through, as I am with a lot of them, uh, and pick up on them when I get back. Rather, I would finish them, I would prefer to finish them, and then when I'm ready or if I feel it necessary to go back and read them a second time. And they're short enough anyway that I really have no excuse <laughs> not to finish them. Um, so that's part of, I hope that you can sense the so, sense of frustration and gridlock that I'm experiencing with having so many open books at the moment. Really, it's one of those things where all the books are fascinating to me, but I know that as I start becoming more intentional with them and start uh, ordering them, so to speak, uh, I'm going to have to put pause on the others, and that's frustrating to me, right? Because it's literally like leaving a bookmark in a project that you're trying to finish, and that's longer form. I feel the same way when I have to go do some rudimentary exercise, but I really need to work on my thesis. You know, it's, it's like this long, ongoing, open project that's constantly in the back of your mind. There's a term in psychology for that, actually. It's called attention residue, and the researcher behind that is called Lobroy, and I heard about it and then subsequently read about it. First, though, in the 10% Happier podcast with Dan Harris, he interviewed Adam Grant recently. I'm a huge proponent of Adam Grant's work. I don't talk about my love of social psychology, and Adam Grant is more so like a business institutional psychologist. I forget the exact term, but he looks at more managing systems, managing work, productivity, those kinds of areas. I don't talk about my love of social psychology and the adjacent sub-realms of psychology very much, but I definitely am very imbued in that realm, and a lot of these concepts can actually really help when you put a name to them and put them out in the open. You can start developing strategies, if not from the research, then for yourself to try to solve these issues that you're having. So the attention residue that I'm talking about is when you have more than one ongoing task or when you have an ongoing task and you start another task, your performance decreases on both tasks. 
And it's because you sort of have this open book, so to speak, in your mind. And sometimes, you know, in my case, literally open books in my mind, on my mind all the time. And that detracts from what I'm trying to focus on in the moment, which frazzles your attention. It reduces your ability to get into flow on those other tasks. And it can really wreak havoc, in, especially in extreme cases like the one in my own reading life that I'm outlining for you now. I also found it really interesting though because Adam Grant in the podcast talked also about the Hemingway technique, which is a very popular style of almost organizational style with writers where they will leave off writing mid-sentence for the day or start with the topic sentence as their last or write their topic sentence as their last thing they do in one session of writing so that the next day it's literally their the onus of the burden is on them to finish the sentence to start the next or to finish that next paragraph whatever the case may be so there is validity to that because it's there's a sense of you're continuing the work of previous days not reinventing the wheel on every day i find it similar when i go to practice my oboe to have a really good idea of what the first note will sound like that i make that day rather than to just go and randomly put together my oboe and start playing <laughs> i really like to as i'm walking to the practice room really think about the quality the duration all of the different aspects and characteristics of the note that i'm going to play first and i feel that that in that same way helps me leave off in a place or start rather in a place where i've left off mentally to really get the wheel going so that when I get to the practice room, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what I left off doing the previous day maybe, and I can just play without burden and with this great freedom and great sense of intention behind what I'm doing. The second pattern that I will talk about today and probably the last since I incorporated a couple of the other like smaller patterns into that last very long <laughs> pattern of starting too much and not finishing and diluting my streams too much. The second pattern is reading slower than I normally do and I had to think quite a bit about this to start getting down to the nitty-gritty of why that might be, what is going on with my reading as I'm reading slower. I think a lot of it is has to do with me having to read slower for my coursework and for my thesis and so during the day all I'm doing is practicing slow reading and practicing this very deliberate halting kind of reading whereas I was as I was taking you know easier classes for example or uh, doing articles that were easier to read, what have you. As I do those, I can practice my speed reading and get through them and have a really good sense of what's going on still. But with this slow, deliberate reading and this kind of churning, especially as my thesis develops, I've got more thoughts that I have to put in order. When I add new information, it just sort of complicates the process. So as I'm working through all this, my reading is getting slower and slower in the day-to-day, -day, and I think that's transferring over quite naturally to my reading at night. I find myself 
really savoring the process, almost like a good like cheese or wine or something, uh, or chocolate, uh, if you're like me and have a sweet tooth. Um, but yeah, really savoring and really deliberating over what I'm reading rather than just like reading a bunch at night and just sort of using that hour to get as far in the book as I can uh, while still enjoying it, while still really grasping what's going on, all of the above. So um, that's something I'm not sure is a problem necessarily. I have no idea, honestly, if I will get through these four books, especially Asvatos Bart, because um, those I have to think about a lot. And the, the short stories in that collection, um, they were made after, they were post-war short stories. So they're quite, a lot of them are quite morose and the themes are very difficult to think about. Um, and I like to spend time, especially after each short story, just like breathing for a while because they really hit you <laughs> in a way that um, I often find uh, this kind of period literature in German to hit me and uh, to really just resonate through my soul in a way that maybe a lot of contemporary fiction I use more so as a springboard, a way to figure out my own life and my own existence, a way to sort of interact with the modern time in a, in, from someone else's perspective, whereas these pieces are about a time and a place and people that who I don't have experience with and don't completely understand. And yet I feel their grief and their tension and sometimes their, you know, strong surges of, of other emotions very deeply. And so it takes longer for me to reconcile all of those things together. It's, it's not cognitive dissonance necessarily, it's just this feeling of even though I don't understand, I do understand. And a lot of that comes through through this beautiful writing. Schneerer is like one of a million examples of writers from this period. There's just like a huge wealth of post-war uh, literature and that's one of my favorite uh, things or rather eras to read uh, in German at the moment in literature is this like right post-1945 sort of stuff. So I think in part it's part what I'm reading these pieces, especially, I mean, even Whereabouts by Jim Balahiri, The Genius of Jesus by Erwin Raphael McManus, those are two books and then plus the short story collection that are inherently very slow going to me. Lahiri writes in this, it's a translated work from Italian by the way, so it's it's already the prose is very interesting and it takes a bit to get into each time for me uh, when I start reading, but Whereabouts has this beautiful deliberate certainty about it and you start reading and it's like all these five, six word sentences maybe, and there's so much information packed into that. It's very much like Hemingway in that respect. So it's a lot of information and not a lot of words. It's very dense reading, so that's necessarily also slower for me. And The Genius of Jesus has a lot of ideas and concepts and McManus also writes very simply. And so these are all again, all books that inherently lend themselves, for me at least, 
to being slower reads even though they're short <laughs> so it's kind of this like irony that they're short and yet they take me longer than a lot of like the 300 400 page books that i was reading before you know horrifying classics a lot of those books took me three days minimum or sorry three days maximum to finish you know they're they're just really quick for me and i can get through them and understand them pretty quickly but these just really take a toll uh, not only mentally but also emotionally at points as i was talking about with the schnurre book um but yeah even even thinking through all of these different faith motifs and motifs of genius in the genius of jesus and also the kind of existentialism that's present throughout whereabouts and this like notion of like homesickness almost that's woven in throughout it i really hope that we can talk about whereabouts on the show or on patreon soon that might be a wonderful thing to just digest together it's such a wonderful read and it's short and i'm sure that some people will get through it faster than i can all right it's time for some conclusionary thoughts and my thoughts are these first i need to get intentional about which books i want to finish when so i've made a rough ordering of them of the books that i will commit to you all to reading in this order for uh the close of this episode so uh, and I'm going to sort of explain these as I'm going to have an ongoing book and an ongoing audiobook. And the reason why is the audiobooks are what I quote unquote read, rather listen to as I'm walking. So those are inherently a bit different. I don't like set aside time often for those unless it gets really good. Like when I read Billy Summers, the audiobook by Stephen King, it just came out recently in, uh, in the early fall. Yeah, that I kind of made time for to listen to every day, but often I'll just have that as my walking book, I suppose, uh, and leave it at that. So, the first book I'm going to commit to finishing is Whereabouts by Junpa Lahiri. That's because I really want to do it for the podcast, so I need to get on that. And my first walking audiobook is going to be Wanting by Luke Burgess. I'm halfway through both of those. I really have like four, less than four hours now of Wanting left, and I've got less than half of Whereabouts left to go, so those I figure will be pretty easy to finish up within the next week. The next book in print that I'll go to is The Genius of Jesus. I'm halfway through that. I've been listening to uh, they on Battle Ready, which is the associated podcast with Erwin Raphael McManus. There's also another podcast that he does called The Genius Of that is quite good. But Battle Ready, I'm a devoted follower and have been for years of that podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. Um, it's Erwin and his son Aaron going and reviewing, not reviewing, like discussing and being critical of and... I guess sort of reviewing in the sense of they're going about a topic, they define it often, and then they discuss it critically. Um, and topics range from religion to uh, politics to sports, you know, there's just such a wealth of different topics and information there. So I just, I love that podcast so much. I just wanted to give them a shout out. <laughs> um, but The Genius of Jesus 
has an associated book club on Battle Ready. So I've been also like paying attention to the book clubs as I'm reading the book, which again has slowed me down, but I don't mind that as much. So I'm going to work on The Genius of Jesus and I'll probably finish before the book clubs are done, but I'm not too upset about that fact. The next audiobook that I will finish is I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. I'm also halfway through this one, so you guys, I have no excuse. I, I really just need to finish these. Um, that will be easier and easier as I walk more and more uh, coming into the close of the semester because I will be walking to coffee shops and the library to study as opposed to just holing up in my house. And last but not least, the other three, Osvater's Bart noch Rotwar von Wolf um, That one I'm going to finish after these smaller, shorter books are finished. After essentially all of my like pressing open books are finished, then I'm going to go to that and really just focus read that until it's done. I'm hoping not to have like an ongoing audiobook while I'm doing that either so that I really just think about it a lot <laughs> enough to finish it and enough to like enjoy and indulge in it as well and not have like all these ongoing chaotic projects on. And then uh, everything like before I sort of have started, I'm going to start it again though so I'm not sure if it really counts for something that I'm currently reading but I'm hoping to finish that uh, before winter break. So if I don't get back to restarting it by the time I leave for Germany, not going to be super disappointed, but yeah, I digress. I'll leave that on the table for now. Same with Adam Schaukel. I'm actually planning on using that as my airplane audiobook. I like to bring both a Kindle book and an audiobook for the airplane. Um, I often will bring like pieces of writing as well for the airplane. I just find that to be sort of my like default <laughs> activities when I'm stuck in a chair for eight hours. <laughs> so, and I'm like, I, I hope you guys can tell how grateful and excited I am to be going to Germany after all this time. It's been a long, long time coming uh, to go back and I'm just so... Uh, I'm so enthusiastic about it. There are really no words. I'm so excited. Um, so grateful to be doing that uh, coming up here. And lastly, moving forward, I need to think less about what I read or what I want to read next and more about what I want to read next in its entirety. I think I need to say that again. I need to think less about what I want to read next and more about what I want to read next in its entirety. And I think that's a self-evident statement, right? I, I can't um, split myself like this for much longer. <laughs> I feel it's very exhausting for me at this point. And I really need to focus on pieces and works and books and novels that I feel I can read exclusively or near exclusively and read them in until they're finished really uh, rather than just reading something that I want to start and don't necessarily want to devote a lot of time and a lot of energy on. Alright now for the fun part of the episode where I will teach you how to make me tea <laughs> and this is 
hilarious to me because I'm a huge tea nerd. There's a lot of hobbies that you'll learn about me on Patreon that I don't really share for the general public. One of them is tea, and I've ad-libbed about tea on Patreon so many times, like minutes and minutes of my life spent on these podcasts talking about tea. So I'm going to teach you how to make me three different types of tea, my standard black tea, a green tea, and then also my special book edition green slash peppermint tea, I suppose will be the best like herbal peppermint tea. Um, and these, the first two are, come from just really a long lifelong love of tea, not lifelong, but you know, a decade long love of tea and tea, tea cultivation and different tea traditions. Um, and the third just is a fun tea recipe from the Hollow Trilogy that we talked about this summer if you were around for that episode. All right, first recipe for black tea. I always prefer my loose leaf black tea, whether it's Darjeeling or Earl Grey, English breakfast, whatever the case is, Yunnan black tea also, if it's a Chinese tea. I typically do prefer to add a bit of milk, which essentially adds enough fat to thicken the texture of it. It really releases different tastes in it. The milk is slightly sweet and really complements the essential oils and or other kinds of leaves or whatever is in an Earl Grey, for example, a Ladies Grey. There's a lot of rose black teas that have this attribute as well. Uh, and it also just provides a fuller body, as I said, for some other standard, more plain black teas. Yunnan black in particular, which is the Chinese black tea, I can take with or without milk. It just depends on how I feel that day. But I would say my typical cup of black tea, I wake up on a Monday morning and need a cup of black tea, it's going to be with a bit of milk. I prefer whole milk because it's full fat, however, I can't have milk right now, so I have to use an alternative milk. My instructions are a bit different between whole milk and alternative milk, and the reason why is the texture and thickness of it. So for a whole milk, regular milk, you're going to put that whole milk into a milk steamer. I like to fill my cup about a fourth of the way full with milk and then put that in the milk steamer. So let's steam the milk. And we're going to go ahead and put the kettle on boil. Black teas can be steeped at hotter temperatures than the other two teas that we're talking about today. So I typically just put the loose leaves in a little tea basket or tea strainer, and I put the water directly from the kettle into the cup. After that is done, I will add the steamed milk into the cup, and that is my cup of Earl Grey slash English breakfast tea, my typical black tea in the mornings. Obviously, if it's a Yunnan black that I'm not taking with milk, whole milk that is, like cow's milk, then I will just put the boiling water directly into the leaves and steep it for a couple minutes. I like to steep my tea for far longer than is recommended on the little packets. I just like really strong tea, so I, I tend to steep it honestly for four to five minutes um, at a time, especially if I'm putting in milk. 
Um, I will wait often for that four to five minutes to pass before I put in the steamed milk just because if there's a tea strainer involved, I don't want the tea leaves to take any of my milk froth away. <laughs> that would be quite tragic. If we're talking about an alternative milk here, same process. You boil the water, put that directly on the black tea leaves because, again, black tea leaves can withstand hotter water in that sense than other tea leaves without burning them and changing the flavor, for example. And I would put the alternative milk not in this, the steamer. And the reason why is the alternative milks that I use do not have emulsifiers in them, which are these chemicals that they add to thicken the mixture and make it creamier. Um, so a lot of Oatly, for example, in the US has emulsifiers in it. Um, and Chobani oat, for example, also has some of those in it. So I can't use those particular oat milks. And I tend to go with just oat milks with literally oats, water, or almond milks with just almonds, water, maybe some salt, maybe some vanilla in there. But yeah, I tend to go with pretty simple. And those separate in the milk steamer. So we don't want that because the texture is already pretty different with an alternative milk as opposed to the normal milk, which is going to give you a lot of that full fat creaminess in the tea. So I tend to just directly pour the milk into the tea mixture. I sometimes will even put the milk in before so that when I pour in the hot water, it's already mixing in. That just helps with the texture again. I try not to let it, let the residue of the milk settle down too much into the cup, but sometimes it's honestly unavoidable. Alright, so the second tea is a green tea. I have a kettle, much like Simply Neological, who has talked about tea a lot. I have a kettle that has different temperature gauges for different types of tea, so I will put my kettle on the green tea temperature, which is about two-thirds of the way of a black tea temperature, and I will boil the water. Now, once that is done, I will put the water directly into the tea strainer with the green tea leaves. Again, I like very strong teas, so I'll typically steep it beyond the regular two to three minutes. I do not take milk in my green tea. I've tried it before and it's honestly a little weird. I think just because the flavor of a green tea is typically sharper than that of a black and it just doesn't work with the fat quite as well. So this is pretty simple for me. I'll literally just steep that until it's a nice, if it's an oolong or a yellow tea, it'll be like a nice golden brown type of a color, like a candlelight type of a color. If it is a lighter green tea, like an anji sort of tea, I like to keep it on the white, like almost clear yellow kind of side, so I don't oversteep those. If it's a snowdrop jasmine or something, I like it more on the yellower side than on the lighter side. So it just depends on the type of green tea, what kind of leaf it is, i.e. how long it is, what the pick is, you know, if it's like a really fresh tea, I might not steep it as long. 
to get all those flavors and I do use green tea leaves several times. I don't tend to use my black tea leaves more than once or twice just because of again the milk and making sure that it's strong enough to still have full flavor with the milk in it. But with my green teas I definitely tend to use those tea leaves three to four times and the flavors change each time that you steep it. I really love that in that sense. I didn't talk too much about pu'er during my black tea tutorial, but pu'er also I will use the leaves at least three or four times. Some pu'ers you can really go in for five or six different uh, steepings or immersions, I think they're called. Sorry, I totally forgot to end the green tea. There is the green tea, literally so simple. Pour it in, we're good. And for our final tea, I did sort of tell you how to make this tea in the episode on the Hollow Trilogy over the summer. This is a recipe from the Hollow Trilogy. I love taking recipes from books. I often will eat cucumbers and soy sauce, which is a Haruki Murakami recipe. There's just so many great recipes, especially in Murakami's works, but also in works around that you'll find, even to a certain extent, like food aesthetics from different books, different periods. I really like to draw from. I think it's just fun. <laughs> it's kind of like a hobby, I guess. So in this tea, it is a peppermint tea. I tend to just honestly grab peppermint tea bags. I'll get the highest quality ones I can. You know, I'm not gonna go heavy on essential oils with peppermint tea just cause I feel like that's not that great. So I'll usually do like a more green based peppermint tea or like a Northwestern peppermint or something along those lines, like a more high quality peppermint tea than just your average drugstore peppermint. I will put the water honestly near the green tea end of the spectrum and I'll start my water a boiling. I will typically tend to use just a plainer milk with this one. Um, so if it is normal milk, I won't even steam it. Steam it. I'll just put about one fourth of a cup if it's a full, you know, cup like a mug. I, I tend to do like taller or bigger mugs, so I'll just put like a fourth of the way up from the mug of milk in the mug and then I will directly pour the tea into the cup. And same thing with alternative milks, I will just put the same amount, roughly, maybe a bit more since like I said the texture is thinner oftentimes and I will pour it directly in and I will let that steep. I honestly don't take the tea bag out. This is the same for if I have a black tea bag or a green tea bag. I typically won't take the tea bag out just because the type of tea, the type of pick of tea in the tea bag will not provide you as satisfying a steeping, at least in my experience, uh, rather than or compared with full leaf tea which is what I use in my little tea basket or tea strainer. So with this one, 
peppermint with a bit of milk. Oat milk I find tastes really good with this peppermint tea. I think the vanilla in almond milk sometimes can mess with the flavors there, but it's up to you. And then I will put just a tiny dollop of honey just tiny like you can barely taste it because the oat milk already has some sweetness to it probably more than normal milk honestly so you don't want to overdo it but that tiny bit of sweetness does a lot to this particular tea and that is what the recipe is in the hollow trilogy they put they tend to put more milk and more honey than i would prefer but i do think that it's quite a good tea and it comes from a book, which is a bonus. Thank you all so much for hanging out with me today. I really enjoyed making tea with you all and honestly talking about my successes and failures with reading. It's helpful for me always to reflect and to take a couple minutes to think about my reading experience and how things are going. Alright y'all, I will see you next week. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.